0: Hey there it's pastor evan here welcome to unpacked this is a new series unpacking life as a messy human we're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically we hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations the stories and the interviews have a listen and subscribe So this week on Unpacked, uh, we're going to be chatting with Maureen Spidel, uh, one of our local psychologists and honestly, one of my favorite people. Uh, Maureen and I this week are going to discuss addiction. We're going to share a little bit about addiction. We're going to talk about addictive behaviors, the brain, and how we can mine for the truth in our interior life, and then hopefully how we can use some of those truths to work towards healing with God's help and the help of others. Well, I sure appreciate that you give us some of your time since last podcast, since we we did it. You've kind of okay. inspired me to do more of these entries. We're calling it just Unpacked. I like it. And this idea of like, how do we as messy people unpack the realities of life and and from faith to not faith perspective. So we're just trying to hope hopefully cover all kinds of topics that people think about, people experience, people live. And in the messiness of that but also maybe in the really beautiful like great great sides of that too so i i did do uh like it's like a 20 minute like monologue of my notes on shame and it's funny because i i didn't really record it with the intention of making it into the podcast really it was more like rather than me doing a big notes like write out all the things i've learned from this chapter i'm just gonna talk and talk it out in the kind of a talking journal. So but it's on the yeah. Lake Ridge podcast. Okay. And, and so you can, you can I'm get gonna little... check it out. Hey, I'm looking forward to today. We've got it. We've got a little bit of time set aside and to talk about well, addiction. It's really what we want to talk about it. I I think it is it's a really important topic.
1: Addictions isn't definitely a strong part of mine. Like it's not something that I specialize in or anything like that. It's always kind of I'm dealing with this person and they have an addiction. I don't deal with a person who has addictions. Usually sent me back to like okay what 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 do I know about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh good. Well that's good. Yeah. So so here's here's my intro that I was I'm driving in the truck Country 105 is, is going crazy with their ads for dry February. Ah, yes. And, and so every time I'm in the truck, they're challenging you to consider, you know, take a week, you know, take the month off, take a week off, you yep. know, take a day off of drinking a week, you know, take an hour <laughs> off from drinking, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever yep. you can do um, to try to like figure this out. My hope is that we can talk a little bit about how we define addiction. Then how, how do we help people and individuals in our life who are, who are struggling through addictions? Mm-hmm. And then what are, the, what are the ways that you as a counselor even help people to kind of get at truth? You know, Because I think addictions come from somewhere. So, so this is my first question for you. How do you define addiction?
1: So how I define addiction is when we start to do something... That at one point brings us pleasure. It might still bring us pleasure or it might not bring us pleasure. But the event or the thing that we engage in has negative consequences. But this draw is more than the negative consequences. And so it might be, you know, let's say drinking, because that's what we talk about. We talk about addictions and normally we think about the, you know, drugs and alcohol. Hmm. Okay. So, so what, are,
0: yeah, what are some of the others?
1: Sex, food, porn, work. Cell phone um, usage. <laughs> oh, that's a huge one. I was I was thinking, you know, I enjoy a beverage, but I could give up drinking. But could I give up cell phone usage? Could I give up Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff for a month? That might even be harder for me.
0: It definitely would be harder for me. But I like <laughs> this perspective, right? Of like something starts... And the word I had actually jotted this down, I was like, something starts as a curiosity.
1: Yeah, we're curious about it. And then it it usually targets our pleasure center of our brain, right? So it Mm -hmm. brings us some form of pleasure. And you think about like, what do these things bring that, you know, because not all of them, but what do they bring that's pleasurable? Mm -hmm. But they usually tap into that pleasure center. And then- You know, one of the things when I was reading, you know, this last couple of weeks about it that really stuck out for me, because it's something I've completely believed in, is that, well, and I really like Dr. Gabor's kind of cartoon depiction of it. He was talking about, especially if there's something that's missing in our life. And then that kind of makes a not great fit, but it kind of takes away the sting. It allows us to avoid the fact that there's this thing that's missing. And then it becomes, you know, I want that filled up because it feels good to fill that up.
0: Hmm. That makes total sense. A couple of years ago, I was reading about just the science of the brain and neural pathways Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things. And the way that the author was talking about like the neural pathways, right, is that often they they figure out the fastest path. You become used to taking the fastest path and the way that it was described was not necessarily that this is physically happening, but, but you could imagine it more like there is a, there is a trench that begins to form Mm -hmm. in, in the routine of doing this thing that gets you what you want. And I think you're right that it, that it is circum, it begins then to circumvent the healthier ways because that oftentimes the healthier ways are the longer path.
1: That's funny because the example I give to people a lot, and I don't know where this came from. I think I made it up, but if I didn't, my apologies to whoever who did, it's like having a detached garage in your backyard and you step off the back step and you know, you want to go to the garage door and you cut across your lawn because that's the fastest way. And if you do that so many times, you build that trench path and then it starts to really affect your grass and it doesn't look really great. But it's so, you know, like Dr. Perry says, neurons that fire together, wire together. It's become so automatic in your brain that this is what I do to get to my garage door or this is what I do to get to feeling pleasure or calm or relaxed or, you know, joy, that you just automatically do that. And then to have to like, pull yourself back and go down the sidewalk so that you don't do that. It's hard work. Beating an addictive behavior is hard work because it, your brain isn't working with you. Yeah. Right. You have to you, you, rewire it.
0: Yeah. You have to do the counterintuitive things, and and believe that somehow in doing the counterintuitive thing, you're going to get to the end goal. And then one of the things we haven't talked about,
1: you know, what are the consequences of that? What's the consequence of having a couple of drinks after work? What are the consequences of you know, going on and surfing, what's the consequences of watching porn? What are those consequences?
0: Mm-hmm. As a psychologist and you, you sit with a client, mm-hmm. how, how do you help people? Like, what are the important steps, maybe, uh-huh. is a better way for, that you see clients needing to walk through?
1: Like some people come in and they are in complete denial that what they have is a problem. Right. Yeah. So I might see that. And so what I do with them would be very different than someone who comes in and says, I have a problem, you know? So if someone says that I don't have a problem, I have to as probably you guys do as well with family members, with congregation members, like gently kind of put it out there. As like, what are the consequences of that behavior? What are you losing because you're doing this? Right. Mm. You know, yeah. Are they able to see that? Like, that's what we call motivational interviewing. It's like trying to figure out what stage they're at. And then our goal is to get them to the next stage. So it might be to think about maybe this is a problem, or is it to say this is a problem? Or is it to say this is what I'm going to do about my problem?
0: Mm-hmm. So in some levels, it's just even having people that ask good questions mm-hmm. of our habits can be helpful like one of the themes in this book that I'm reading, right, is that it seems to me that it, as they get to the practicality of understanding each of the different emotions that they're referring to, whether shame or fear or anger or whatever is that you got to name, yeah. at some point you have to name it. Yeah. Right, like that seems to be one of the things where it's like, no, you're going to have to give it a name if you're going to work through it. It's got to have a name.
1: And that's AA or NA's kind of first premise. That first step is saying, I actually have a problem which is huge because you can't start dealing with something if you don't say it's a problem.
0: Yeah. And if nobody is asking you or challenging you to be reflective, then, then my assumption would be it takes a whole lot longer to get to that. You know, for those of us who have addictive personalities, those of us who are, you know, tend to live in excess mm-hmm. of anything, like a little bit of something, like if a little bit of something's good, a lot of it's gotta, gotta be, be better, better, right? <laughs> like, and I I definitely in my lifetime have fallen into that yeah. into that kind of trap. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have this routine that gets built around that. And then your body begins to crave. Like in particular if you are into one of the chemical like the physical chemicals that you're putting yeah. in your body, but also the other chemicals that your or body produces. Or the neurochemicals. That, exactly yeah. what I was, yeah, that, that it's like, you literally can get addicted to the, to the chemicals your body produces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the one that they talk about the most with just for people's interest, the one they talk about the most with addictions is dopamine, right? Mm. Dopamine is that pleasure. Right. And, you know, like, let's talk about foods for a bit. Cause that's, yeah. that's what I want to talk about. Um, Salty, fatty, sugary foods all release dopamine. Mm. We don't usually have people that come in because they're like, you know, having way too much salads, right?
0: (laughs) I'm really into broccoli. (laughs) Right. But
1: it's that salty, fatty, sugary, right? And when you think about the things that we were being asked to cut out to have healthier eating habits. Those are the ones that we're asking to, but those are the ones that are giving us all the dopamine. Right. My my little guy said it best he had to be about four. And I was making supper and I had made meat and I made veggies. And he goes, Well, where's the other stuff? And I'm like, What other stuff? Because you know the stuff that tastes good. <laughs> so and so true because it's like you know he was wanting some pasta or some bread or you know some that tastes good if I'm gonna have to choke
0: down this meat and vegetables mom so so when we once we figured out right that there is some of these patterns that that the lawn the the trench has been created the lawn's getting ruined yeah like when 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 we kind of come back to that what are what do you think are the key components then towards healthier habits like I've heard the 21 you got to do something for 21 days or like I've heard that and I don't want to be sarcastic about it but I think there's got to be more to it than that
1: oh I do I think you have to look at okay so where's the pleasure coming from and why is this giving me pleasure what's not giving me pleasure I'm trying to think of who the therapist was and I'm not sure if it was Gottman or Terry Real but they, oh, it's Gottman, it's definitely Gottman. And they made a list of what they called misery stabilizers. And I love that term, misery stabilizers. So if someone's not sure that they have an addiction, I don't often use the word addiction at first. I talk about misery stabilizers. Shh, don't tell anybody. And uh, because they're craving something. So they're doing things that don't necessarily meet that need, but it kind of distracts them from that need. Right. So if they're craving connection or if there's some form of trauma that's stopping them from accessing things that they want or need, you know, watching TV or having a drink or, you know, chasing relationships or whatever it is. Like when I talk about chasing relationships, I talk about kind of serial dating, if that makes any sense, because I have some of that. They're doing things to distract them from what needs to change. So then we need to start with what needed to change and why it needs to change.
0: Okay. So how do you, so the way I would, I would word that, and I wrote this down uh, in my, in my notes is just in kind of getting ready. It's like, how do you help people mine for the truth in that? Oh, I love that term. Mine for the truth. Right. Because it's there, it's got to be down there somewhere. And it's going to take some patience and some time and some, all of those things, but what are, what are some helpful ways of mining for truth in our in our own life in our interior life?
1: Well I think you have to first and, and you you know this you have to make it safe enough to do that because that's scary. So there's that whole establishment of you know this is safe and you can look at it and it's not going to hurt you or it might be hurting but it's not going to devastate you maybe is a better word if that makes sense and so like making it safe to kind of take a look at that kind of stuff because sometimes if we don't like it we just kind of you know ball it up stuff it down pretend it doesn't exist so you know anyone that comes in and actually I'm going to take take a step back from that and then I find out about them like what like I look for clues you probably do this too like what clues you know I ask about childhood, I ask about, you know, where you bullied in school? Because I believe that it's connection, right? It all comes back to connection, that you need to feel connected to at least one other person we're built to connect. And so I try to find out where the connection got broken. Was it with, you know, family? Was it with peers? Was it with relationships as it went on? You know, where did you want to fill a hole in your world? And then, look towards one of these addicting habits because it was that misery stabilizer.
0: Mm. I, that is, that's helpful, right? Like how do we, how do we then go at finding the whole, you know, it, it's, it is an interesting thing because our, our, our human nature is to, is to fill the gaps. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's that moment when you have this choice to go, well, how, how, how do I fill that gap? Or can I be okay with letting it be a gap? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, can I yeah. just go, no, that's something that's going to take time probably to fill, and I'm just going to let it grow or so let if, it be. So, oh.
1: have you heard about the A scores or the Adversive Childhood Experience Scale? Uh, I haven't heard of this. No, no, explain it to me. Okay. So, I have form in my, in my so if I pull it out, but basically, um, researchers took, all the things that can happen that are adversive in childhood. Because we know that things that we label as traumatic or adversive, the younger you are when they happen, the more impact they have over our world. And so they did a huge, massive survey and collected all the things that people found happen to them under the age of 18 that they feel pushed them around or still cause them problems today or still cause disturbance for them today right and they narrowed those down to the top 10 and then they did research based on those top 10 and then they did research on what happens when people have one or more of these a scores and what they found is higher rate of addictions higher rate of health problems, higher rate of struggling in relationships, basically the whole gamut of what we try to help people with, whether we're medical, spiritual, you know, Mm -hmm. psychological, all of those things that we try and help people with. And they say that, you know, there's more than these top 10, but these are kind of the top 10. So you talk about asking the questions it is in my package that I send to people. The first time I meet with them, I want to know what their ACE score is.
0: Okay, so there's like a, there is like a, a quiz they can do or? A... Yeah,
1: um, the top 10 that they describe as the ACE scores are whether you saw a parent or another adult in the home, often swore, insulted, humiliated you, or made you afraid that you would be physically hurt. Um, did another parent or adult in the house push, grab, slap, throw something at you or ever hit you so hard you had marks or were injured? Um, We talk about sexual abuse. Um, There's a question around that. This is the one that always is interesting and brings up the most questions because sometimes I I talk about it, like they give it to me, but then we have a conversation about it. Um, Did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Right. So talk about that connection so people can say I wasn't abused. And and that's very much true. But did you feel like you're important? Did you feel like you were allowed? Did you feel like somebody had that kind of safe base? We talk about neglect. So did you feel like you didn't have enough to eat or had to wear dirty clothes or that your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you? So we ask around that whole issue of neglect. Were your parents ever separated or divorced? right? Because that can often cause lots of trouble. And when you talk about, um, you know, these kinds of questions, you know, sometimes people then lend into the, you know, it was okay. And then it's like, okay, how did they make that okay? And we have conversations about that. But it's about, again, it's asking those questions. So when you ask, you know, how to find the hole, I call it fishing. You just fish and fish and fish until you find something bites at your line, and then you have a conversation about it. Um, so number seven was, was your mother or stepmother often push, grab, slapped, or had something thrown sometimes or often kick, bit, or hitten? Or did you ever see that person repeatedly hit over a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife? It's interesting to me that it says mom or stepmom because usually when I talk about it, I add in dad too because I don't think that it would matter either way. But I think when they narrowed down top 10, that's how they narrowed it down. Did you ever live with someone who was a problem drinker or an alcoholic or used street drugs? Um, was a household member ever depressed, mentally ill, or attempted suicide? And did a household member ever go to prison? So those are the top 10 hmm. adverse childhood experiences.
0: I find that, that that's an interesting list because I think one of the things that one of our first coffees we ever drank together. <laughs> yeah. I think you were talking to me about how memories are stacked.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was a long time ago already, but, and how, how it's like, how trauma can, can, you know, you can, you have your memories being stacked on top of each other as a child. Yeah, You have a traumatic experience and it's almost as if you, you can't remember past there.
1: My girlfriend describes it. So my girlfriend, I'm going to give her credit here. So when something happens to us, when we're, when we're little, right? And I I talk about being little because when we're little, we're not, our brain isn't capable, it's not grown enough to realize that this thing happened, but it's not my fault, right? Because kids are center of their world. They have to be until they kind of grow up and their brain develops and they realize bad thing has happened to me, but I'm not bad. So when they happen to you when you're younger, they have that much bigger impact because your brain grows around that. So when a bad thing's happened to us and it causes a negative feeling, we start to develop this negative belief about ourselves. And so those things spider out. You know, we also remember the people we're with and things that we smelt and things that we were doing, even the things that, you know, where we were. And it in itself is an event. But then when other bad things happen, our brain likes to make them fit into the same category. So that negative belief about ourself gets kind of reinforced, but it's got a whole bunch more triggers because we might've had different smells or been in a different location or had different people and they can layer on and layer on and layer on. So we can get triggered into remembering or feeling that negative belief about ourself a lot more when we have more of those adverse experiences.
0: Okay. It's a, it's a funny thing because but that conversation made me think about some small memories that I had as a kid, and for me, a lot of them were centered around school so we're we're moving uh, away yep. from addiction here, but I'll tell you the story yes, I always default to I'm not the smartest person in the room. Huh. That's a reality for me, yeah, so I don't read very well, I don't read very fast. I have a hard time remembering um Things that I have read, retaining that information, right. and all of those things have contributed to my like, just belief that when it when I'm in a room full of intelligent people, I I will quickly make the assumption that I'm the dumbest person in the room. It's it's a lie. I realize that it is a lie. So a couple of years ago, I I'm thinking about these memories are stacked and all these kind mm-hmm. of things, and I have this memory sitting in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And I am sitting at my desk and right in front of my desk is the teacher's desk. And I'm the only person in the room. Well, her and I are yeah. the only people in the room behind her is the window and out of, I'm going to go faster. And behind out in the, out of the window is the playground and yeah. there are kids playing in the playground. So I have this memory and I remember, I remember feeling shame. And I'm assuming in my head at the time, I was like, I, I'm remembering a memory of getting in trouble. So we're coming up on Christmas that year, and I'm going to be out at my mom and dad's. And so we're all sitting around. My sisters are there. Everybody's there. Yeah. They're in the living room. My mom sits down at the kitchen table with me. We got a puzzle going on there. And I say to her, I've been trying to do this thing with memories and trying to remember some memories. I got this memory. It's a weird one. And I tell her this story. I, I remember this thing. Yeah. As I'm telling her the story, I can see my mom's face. It's just starting to go pale white. Hmm. And, uh, and my mom says, you are telling the story of one of my greatest fears for you. When you were in grade two, you came home. This was like in March, in the spring, you came home and you said something about being dumb, and my mom has always told me, "You're not dumb. You can do anything." She's this is what she's like, and uh, and she says, "You tell me you're dumb," and I said, "How are you getting that from? Why are you thinking you're dumb?" And yeah. and you said, "I don't get to have noon hour. I have to stay inside and read." And she so my mom. She tells me, she's like, so I remember asking you more questions and saying, what do you mean? Like you had to stay in this week. And I said to her, no, I have to stay in every day. And this, as the story goes, my mom ends up saying that they had, that this teacher had decided that she was going to make sure I learned how to read in grade two and had been keeping me in for my lunch hours since November. Wow. And she didn't know. My mom didn't know. My my oldest sister, who's quite a bit older than me, she's seven years, I guess, older than me, she says, I remember that night.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And all of a sudden, my siblings start filling in all these blanks around this story. And what my sister says is, I have never seen mom so mad. And what I didn't, I don't remember any of this, none of it at all. But she, she was like, I remember listening to mom because my mom, my mom basically finished, we finished supper and I left and my mom got on the phone to the teacher and they had it out on the phone. And that was apparently that was the last time I was ever kept in at lunch hour. But, but what is interesting is if I had not like, this is, this is what's so fascinating about that memory for me and what I learned a few years ago when I shared it with them was in my story, I was all alone in that.
1: Yeah.
0: And what was like uh, what was so moving about that story was when I was able to ask the questions, I was able to hear so much more of how the people around me took care of me. Mm-hmm. And the story was so helpful to me to realize that even though I had blocked out a pretty painful part of my, my growing up in grade two, which, which I'm carrying with baggage into my 40s still, yeah. my perspective on that story wasn't 100% accurate. Anyways, I learned a lot from, from unpacking this yeah. particular memory. And I, yeah. I I guess what I'm getting at is I am certain there have been lots of moments when I have done unhealthy habits. I've, I've put in unhealthy habits in my life. And, and some of those very likely have been an addictive thing. I love how
1: your healing comes from connection, connection to your mom, right? Connection Mm -hmm. to your siblings, that, that awareness that you weren't alone, right? Which is why I think that there, you, you ask, you know, how people heal or how people, you know, beat, beat addictions. And I think going back and, and realizing that you're not alone, so and we do that in a whole bunch of different ways when we do addiction treatments because when you look at addiction treatments different people get get it from different places sometimes it's by having people sit around and literally do an intervention like that's kind of the first step that just say this is a problem but again it's not you know they're not alone in the room right there's a group of people with them sometimes it's by going to a support group where other people struggle with it too but again you're not alone Sometimes it's by sitting in a op- therapist's office, and it's about talking about it. But you're not alone,
0: which is so interesting because the byproduct of shame is isolation. That what, when we when we experience or feel shame, we withdraw, and it, whatever that looks like, huh. you know, yeah. we withdraw from a conversation, even though we may not leave the room. We just have shut down, and you know, some what do they call it, stonewalling, or like we yeah. just like go oh, not doing this anymore. Yeah. Um, but even even in other aspects, when you live a shame-filled life, we often will physically isolate right. ourselves. And yet, the, the only way to make our way through shame, but also an addiction, is by leaning into humans. Yeah. Hopefully safe humans and, and humans that and, help you know, ask good questions and give good perspective.
1: And not just humans spirituality believing that there's someone mm-hmm. bigger than yourself
0: yeah how good of you to bring god into this conversation
1: well it, it's true I think, uh, I it's, think... <laughs> spirituality is a huge part of humans right
0: yeah and I, I i really i agree for me my my faith has helped me a great deal to be more comfortable with mining for truth in my life and that has been a core belief for me that i and I, I preach it I teach it often is mm-hmm. that I think that the, well the great gift is that when we come to believe that we are actually loved by God mm-hmm. the great damage is when we believe that somehow our behavior will change that love and and we don't actually see that in the biblical story but it, but it, we've come to believe it if I behave badly then God will either punish me or and probably the punishment will be by removing Himself from my life.
1: His abandonment of me
0: yeah, which is not a not actually a part of the biblical story at all, but right, so it is a weird deal like we've we've picked up some things from the biblical story that that aren't there and and maybe it's because we connect a relationship with God to being exactly the same as relationships with humans
1: and sometimes humans let us down. <laughs>
0: Like absolutely all the time. And, and it's not not every time, but all the time. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. And it's like, so I always get worried about this when people say to me, like, she's my rock or or he's my rock. And I go, uh, I don't think that's very solid. Right. To
1: all be on somebody, all to be on somebody else.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. not even fair to them.
1: Nope. Yeah, I don't Wait, talk it, about it as being a rock. It's interesting. I I always say I don't want somebody on a pedestal because wow, it's hard when they fall off that pedestal for for both yeah. of them. I like the idea of when I think about being in a relationship of I can lean on you and you can lean on me.
0: Mm. Well, and and I can make allowance for your brokenness some days. Yeah. And you can make allowance allowance for mine. It's a better way of days. putting it. Yeah. 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 yeah you know so so i i think that that's like the beautiful parts of how not well not just faith but how god has made the hu- humans to to live and be together you know the image of the garden of eden you know was really it, it was so much more than just a bunch of plants and animals living together it was really the beauty of everything working completely in cooperation with each other. And, and I think that was the gift because God was a hundred percent present there with them in that. Right. And so as soon as, soon as, you know, in this, in the biblical story, as soon as the serpent comes and convinces them to be God, because that, that was the lie.
1: Okay. So what's the serpent like in our world? What's the serpent? What does that represent?
0: Oh, I, I think it could be a whole list of a lot of things, to be honest with you. Um, What I would say, and this is what I would say the great, you know, people, there's a fruit tree in the middle of the garden or whatever. And it's like, this is like not that important. But really, it's more about, well, what does the serpent convince them? What do they offer that distracts them from what they have exactly so we can we can bring this to addiction right so it's like Mm -hmm. what lie Mm -hmm. is being told to them and the lie that's being told to them in the garden is essentially god knows everything and he wants to keep you from being like him and so he said don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if you know if you eat from that tree, you will know everything and you will be like God. You'll have all the power, all the control, all of the things. And so really the great lie was that we, that Adam and Eve and we mm-hmm. could simply go to the tree, eat the, eat the fruit and become gods. That it, it was, it was a big
1: lie. And that is and, kind of what addictions do. They say, if you do this, your life's going to be magical and perfect.
0: Yeah. And easier.
1: Easier. We're going to take away the hard. We're going to take away the hurt. We're going to take away the pain if you do us. Right. And it really sucks us in.
0: Yeah. But then, but what what we don't realize, and I, I think this is what's so hard, is we become so used to whatever the addiction produces in us whatever mm-hmm. chemicals it produces we become addicted to those chemicals like the ease of what will happen if i do this this and this i will be in less pain yep but what we don't realize is the end of that neural pathway is pain leads us to yep yeah, is pain
1: yeah yeah cuz and- the things the things that naturally bring us pleasure don't usually bring us pain this you know Addictive substance at the end has a na- has a painful consequence. It's pulling us away from people. It's hurting people that we love. It causes physical pain sometimes, or it causes this shame because of what we've done. Right. So it, you know, when we talk about the biology of it, not only does it you know trigger dopamine, so it brings us pleasure, but it also reduces our inhibitions. It reduces our our aversion to things, which in in a natural way is good. So when you meet you know, a really, you know, cute guy when you're out, it, you know, it feels really good to be with them. So you reduce your inhibitions and you kiss them, right? That's how I met my husband, right? I don't normally, you know, kiss strange men. (laughs) That's not what I do, but the pleasure reduced my inhibitions. I kissed him and it's great because now I'm with this, you know, really, really great guy. But when, when we reduce those inhibitions and we take on activities that are harmful for us right Mm -hmm. and then we get sucked into becoming dependent on them to receive that pleasure it becomes this the, the the negative consequences just get bigger and bigger and bigger
0: yeah because like just to take your story you could have kissed 10 guys there
1: i could have but no yeah the consequences of that would not have been good
0: i think that's one of those those great challenges is having the the wits about us to kind of go why do I do the things I do mm-hmm. and and having good community around us to to help us say well here's what I see the things you do doing to you i think sometimes that's helpful and yeah. or we harm or we harm somebody that we love because we become so accustomed to you know making sure we we experience pleasure, that we forget there are other humans around us that are, are being harmed by that.
1: And that leads us into enabling that some of the best things we can do to people we love when they're struggling with an addiction is just standing firm and letting them know that it's not okay and how it affects them rather than falling into that shame secret and keeping it a secret mm-hmm. and not telling them. Cause that can be also what's helpful in people deciding to deal with the addiction is if Mm -hmm. the other people say, this is how it affects my world, right? I love you, but this is how it affects me and not falling into that. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to clean up after you. I'm going to watch you carefully and get you out of situations. So you can't get in trouble for it.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting cycle, you know, and those that we love on some levels for a time, you can't blame those that we love. No. For, for letting it go on or even enabling it for
1: trying to protect us.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, but eventually it becomes this just as harmful as the addiction itself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. When they say, you know, that addictions are like, they're, they're a bigger disease than
0: just one person. They affect a lot more than just one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) If I sum this up, it's like addiction is something, a behavior, or a habit we form to fill holes? Mm-hmm. So that naming, gives us
1: short term gain.
0: Short term gain, right. Or relief. Right.
1: Or relief, which is a gain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that we fill with something mm-hmm. to do that. And the way out of that or the way to reorient ourselves is naming it. Mining for the truth of what that looks like. Safety. Mm-hmm. What else do we need in there? What are the Connection. other components? Connection. Connection. Right? Yeah.
1: That sense of um that sense of being known that people, right? that it's not a secret. I think that's a really important one. Like, cause so many addictions we keep secret. And that sense of being known that people know this, like that's why we, that's why we name it, but it's not just naming it to ourselves. It's naming it and, and sharing it with at least one other person and being mm. known that that's what we're struggling with because then it makes us less alone.
0: Okay. And that can be, that can be really hard because to name that you have an addiction Mm -hmm. is to name that you're weak, Mm -hmm. to name that you, there's something in your life that can be out of control Mm -hmm. that not even you can control.
1: Yeah. As soon as you're able to to name it, it's, it's the more people that are helping you, right? The more places that you can get that support, I would say the better, right? Mm -hmm. And so at no time should you not be seeking support.
0: I think I would add to that too. It's like, as soon as in, in my different struggles, as soon as I start, like you have good days where you're like, this is, this is a problem. It's out of control. I need help. That's the moment you should do it Mm -hmm. because the next day you'll be telling yourself, well, it's maybe not as big of a deal and lots of people drink too much or lots of people smoke weed or you know, whatever, look at, look at porn or, so it, it doesn't take long before your self-talk starts talking you out of the bravery that, that you, (laughs) you had the day before or whatever.
1: And like I said, it might mean, you know, talking, talking to a pastor. It might mean going to an, A, a support group or a support group of any kind. It might be, you know, going to a therapist. It might be talking to your doctor. It might be right. It's about, again, it's about, you know, gathering your people around you to help you through that.
0: So can you tell us um, real quick, how do how do people get in touch with with you? How, me? how could they yeah call with your... yeah
1: call me my number so it's Delta Psychological Services. Um you can Google that my phone number is 403 3519 And one of the things I, I try to be really accountable for is, is I might not be the right person for you, but if you give me a call I will help you try and find that person if that makes any sense. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much, you guys.